0: There are some hauntings that are so terrifying and so infamous, they are truly in a league of their own. One of those would be the haunting of the Perrin family, the true story that inspired the first Conjuring film. In 1971, the Perrin family moved into a historic farmhouse in Rhode Island, but they learned they were not alone there. The family endured and lived through one of the most intense and volatile hauntings in American history. They had no idea that the house was overcrowded with ghosts, some harmless, others malignant and downright dangerous. The countless dark entities in the home took over their lives from the second they moved in. The Conjuring film, which is based on the parents' experience in the home, was reportedly toned down from what actually happened. Today's episode, we're talking about what really transpired in that home, what the parents truly experienced, and we won't be toning anything down. Welcome back to Avery After Dark. I am your host, Avery Ross. I'm so happy you're here with me for today's extra spooky episode. And quick reminder if you're enjoying Avery After Dark, leave a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts. It helps so much. So thank you. And if you want all these episodes early and ad free, join the Patreon. Just three bucks a month. That's it. Thank you to all my lovely Patreon members. I've been excited for this episode for weeks, so let's get into it. This is The Haunting of the Perrin Family. Many are familiar with this story from the first Conjuring film. The movie does a really great job of capturing the feel of the haunting, but there was quite a bit left out and added for Hollywood effect. The Perrin family is at the center of our story, as well as Ed and Lorraine Warren, who we have covered on this podcast, they investigated this case. But Andrea Perrin claims the Warrens' presence in the home actually stirred things up even more for the family. Andrea said that she's grateful they were there and attempted to help, but the haunting was so out of control, it seemed bringing in any outside assistance or making any changes within the home only intensified the activity in the home. And as I said, the film was toned down from the actual events that took place, which if you've seen the film, that's pretty shocking as the movie is really scary. The Conjuring is actually one of my favorite movies. It kept me on the edge of my seat the entire time. The director, James Wan, initially wanted the film to be rated PG-13 to obviously widen audiences, but when submitted, it was ruled the film was way too scary and was given an R rating. What's really interesting about this case and something that's not covered in the film the Perrin family said that unexplainable things began happening to them years before they even moved into that house. Many of the accounts from this haunting come straight from Andrea Perrin, the eldest of the Perrin daughters. She said, quote, everything that happened had to happen precisely the way that it did in order for us to be catapulted into the environment, End quote. She has written a series of books about her family's experiences entitled House of Darkness, House of Light, and so I will be referencing her testimonials. They really give us firsthand knowledge of the events that took place. So who were the parents? Let's get to know them a bit. The Perrin family consisted of Roger and Carolyn Perrin and their five daughters, Andrea, Nancy, Christine, Cindy, and April. Prior to moving to the farmhouse, the family seemed to live a fairly normal life in a suburb of Providence, Rhode Island. There's one notable event that I wanna talk about. It's really chilling. Two and a half years before they even set foot on that farm, Roger Perrin brought home an African Basenji puppy. The kids went crazy for the dog, as most families do. It was love at first sight. She was such a cute, friendly dog. Carolyn Perrin was immediately taken with her too. According to Andrea, when Roger brought her home, Carolyn picked up the puppy, held her to her chest, and said, this is such a special dog. She needs an equally special name. Andrea said she closed her eyes, thinking, and then quickly decided on a name for this dog, Bathsheba. So if you're familiar with this haunting, the story, the film, you will know the significance of this name. Bathsheba is one of the dark entities that haunts the farmhouse the parents will later move to, years later. This wasn't a family name. No one had ever heard of it. It supposedly just came to Carolyn. She didn't know why just said it popped into her mind out of nowhere. So Bathsheba was already connecting with the family years before they even moved into the home. She knew they were coming. A couple years later, Carolyn Perrin was beginning to get tired of suburban life because something had happened. One day, 10-year-old Andrea was walking Bathsheba and she ran into traffic. She was tragically lost that day. Andrea was devastated. This dog was her everything, and she had a nervous breakdown as she felt responsible because Bathsheba was in her care and now she was gone. The family was heartbroken and Carolyn said, that's it. I went away from the traffic. I went away from the chaos. I went away from the neighbors. I want out of here. So this event, this tragedy, losing their sweet dog Bathsheba set the wheels into motion and sent Carolyn on the path to the farmhouse. After this, she began looking for a simpler place to raise her girls and had dreams of moving out into the country. She was out with her daughters one day and picked up a newspaper. Later that night, she was browsing when one certain advertisement immediately grabbed her attention. A beautiful secluded farmhouse for sale in a small country town in Rhode Island, the Old Arnold Estate. Carolyn was a major history buff and saw the home was historic. A dream of hers was to live in a piece of history. So Carolyn instantly picked up the phone, called the realtor that night around 9 p.m. and set a time to see the home by herself the very next morning. Andrea said this was something that her mom normally wouldn't do. Something was obviously calling her to the property. She found the farm or the farm found her. So Carolyn leaves first thing the next morning, not even informing her family where she was going and as soon as she saw the farmhouse, she said she knew it. This was meant to be their new home. The four-bedroom house was located in the small country town of Harrisville, Rhode Island. Carolyn thought the 200-acre property was going to be the ideal place to raise their five daughters. Big old farmhouse, barn, plenty of land for the family to explore, beautiful little meadows and streams. The scenery was like something from a postcard. The older man who was selling the home was named Mr. Earl Kenyon, and he had lived there for decades. Eight generations of one extended family lived and died in that home. Earl Kenyon married into the family and was the last of their relatives to live there. So if the parents moved there, they would be the very first outsiders to ever live on the property. Mr. Kenyon didn't really want to move, but was encouraged by his son. He was getting older and his son felt the house was just too much to handle, too remote, and urged him to sell. Mr. Kenyon told Carolyn that the home was built in 1736. This parcel of land was handed out by Roger Williams to give to those who followed him when he left the Massachusetts Bay Colony. The first family to live on the land was the Richardson family. So this place had a lot of history. As you can imagine, this was like music to Carolyn's ears. To be able to live in a place with such real historical significance and value, this was a dream come true, and an opportunity she was not going to pass up. Carolyn wrote a check, draining the family bank account to put a down payment on the home. This didn't go over so well with Roger Perrin. He wanted to cancel the check and was not on board for this house or the move, at first. Carolyn's mission became trying to convince her husband that this move was the move, and she worked on him for a while. She said this kind of property was a once in a lifetime opportunity, and it was a great investment, a smart business move. She convinced Roger and the girls to take a trip and visit the farm for themselves, and they did. And as soon as Roger saw the place, he fell in love too. The old Arnold estate was on the market for $72,000, which for that time was a pretty penny. So this property was going to cost them their life savings, but they made it happen. Roger owned his own business, a jewelry company, so they did everything they could. And in the winter of 1971, the parents purchased the farmhouse. The old Arnold estate was now theirs. Strangely, at the closing, Carolyn and Roger found out that no one else had called about that ad. Not one other person just Carolyn. It was like the house was meant to be theirs. It's moving day for the Perrin family, and as they're beginning to unload their trucks, Earl Kenyon leans over and whispers something to Roger Perrin. He said, quote, Roger, for the sake of your family, leave the lights on at night, end quote. Roger didn't really know what to make of this. He didn't know what it meant. So he just sort of brushed it off as Earl being an older man, just rambling. But he wasn't rambling. This was a warning. It was later revealed that Earl Kenyon knew the land was haunted but didn't want to look or sound like a crazy old man. So he kept a lot to himself. He didn't want to say the property's haunted, it's cursed. But he knew it to be true. He slept every night with the lights on and the parents had no idea what they had just gotten themselves into. They had no clue how bad it was going to get. The parents didn't even think about the home being haunted. It wasn't even something they talked about or considered. But the family eventually learned what this meant. Throughout the town, it was known that if you drove past that home, the lights were always on. Always. But why? What happens in that home when the lights are turned off? What happens in the dark? the Perrin family was about to find out. So it's move-in day at the old Arnold estate, but from the very first minute the family opened up the front door, it began. Andrea recalled her very first paranormal encounter in the home, saying that when her father was unloading the car that day, he handed her a box and said, hey, take this to your mom, she's unpacking in the kitchen. Andrea says, okay, and walks inside through the parlor door on the front porch. As she walked into the house, she sees Mr. Kenyon, who was packing up some of his final belongings from a china cabinet in the dining room. But he wasn't alone. She looked over and sees an oddly dressed man standing in the corner of the dining room near the door. She says good morning to the man, assuming he's here to help Mr. Kenyon move, but he ignores her. Andrea then walks into the kitchen and asks her mom, who's the man in there with Mr. Kenyon? Carolyn looks confused and says, "No one else is here. His son is scheduled to come by later today to help him, but there was no other man in the house." Andrea said, uh, there's a man in there." Then her younger sister Christine walks into the kitchen and again asks, "Who is the man with Mr. Kenyon?" Carolyn says again, "There is no other man here." Then Cindy walks in, asks, "Who's that man in there with Mr. Kenyon?" Then Nancy walks in, whispers to Cindy, that man in the dining room with Mr. Kenyon just disappeared. Four out of the five parent girls reported seeing that entity that very first day. The spirits were making themselves known, giving the family a chilling preview of what was to come. That very first move-in day, the parents noticed something really strange. The family had a couple dogs and cats, and their animals wouldn't go inside the home. They were cowering to the house, going crazy, crying, The family eventually had to drag them into the home, and they had no idea what was wrong with the animals as they had never acted this way before. Children and animals are more likely to sense and feel spirits and bad energy, so I am not surprised by this. And from there, things just got worse. The second night in the home, Cindy came into Andrea's room late one night and asked if she could sleep with her. Andrea says, yeah, of course. What's wrong though? Cindy told her that she was scared to be in her room because she was hearing voices. Andrea tried to explain it away as her just hearing her sister sleep talking, but Cindy said, no, it wasn't her sister. Cindy said, these voices are talking to me at the same time and they're all saying the same thing. Andrea is curious, what are these voices saying, Cindy? She answers, the voices are saying, there are seven dead soldiers buried in the wall. There are seven dead soldiers buried in the wall. These voices would say this to young Cindy over and over and over. The spirits in the home were ramping up. And from the beginning, the house was just off. Notably, the home was always really cold, impossible to warm up. This made no sense as it had a full heating system. Also, the family noticed that all the fireplaces had been closed up, which didn't help matters. The parents asked Mr. Kenyon, why are the fireplaces all closed up? I mean, it was midwinter in Rhode Island. They didn't see any reason why the home's fireplaces would be closed off. It was so cold in the home and the family had a ton of firewood in the barn that was going to waste. Strangely, Mr. Kenyon wouldn't answer why they were closed. Andrea said there's a difference between normal cold and supernatural cold. And that house was always supernaturally cold. The family noticed that household items would disappear. Carolyn would leave something somewhere and turn around for it to be gone. The family also noted this strange, putrid smell that would hit them out of nowhere. The smell of rotting flesh. Just out of the blue, the smell would nearly knock them over. Unknowingly to the family at the time, this smell was later learned to be consistent with demonic activity. April, the parent's youngest daughter was five and the only one not in school, so during the days, Roger would go off to work and the other girls went off to school, leaving just April and Carolyn at home. One day, April was upstairs playing with Carolyn in the next room, when she looked over and saw a little blonde boy with watery green eyes peeking out at her from behind a door. The young boy looked to be the same age as April. She was surprised to see him, but being a five-year-old, accepted him and said hi. She described him vividly, saying his eyes were pale green and always wet like he was crying. She said he had pale skin and looked ill. But most notably, the young boy looked absolutely petrified, frantically looking around at all times. April said he looked over both of his shoulders and behind him, making sure no one else was around. He then began crawling towards her on his hands and knees and the two began to play together. He eventually told April his name telepathically, saying that he was Oliver Richardson. April didn't tell anyone about this little boy She kept it her secret as she liked him. They became friends, and she didn't want anyone to make him leave. She didn't even tell the Warrens when they came for their investigation. She only revealed it later on when she was in her 30s. She kept this a secret for 30 years. But Carolyn and the family knew something was going on as they would frequently hear April having these full-blown conversations with someone. But when they would walk in, she would be playing alone. Not long after moving into the home, something really strange begins happening with Carolyn. From the outside perspective, she just got exactly what she wanted. This dream home on this property she fought for. She has her husband and her kids all settling into this new place they can call their own. But Carolyn starts becoming really depressed. There's this deep, deep sadness within her. She made comments saying that she felt like something was around her, following her, watching her and the entire family felt the same way. They just didn't know where it was coming from. But Carolyn was starting to spiral. The family also started waking up to their bed shaking, and not just shaking. Often the family would wake up in the mornings to find their beds had been moved entirely. They would wake up on the opposite side of the room. This became so regular to the girls, they didn't even question it. They would just wake up, push their beds back, and continue about their day as best as they could. As you can imagine, the girls were really afraid of the spirits in the home, so much so that none of the girls ever went to the bathroom alone. They said it was not safe to be alone or do things alone in the home. They also avoided the basement at all costs and said it had a cold, stinking presence. To put it frankly, the girls were terrified. The things they were hearing, seeing, they reportedly made a point to try to go play games outside like hide and seek, even if it was in the middle of winter. In their minds, at least they were out of the home and away from these entities. It was also obvious by the experiences, the encounters, the voices, this house had a number of spirits present. Some spirits were harmless, but others were really angry. And now another quick word from today's sponsors. You're back with Avery After Dark. But that first year, none of the girls went to Carolyn or Roger with their experiences or fears. They would talk with each other about it, often sleeping in bed with each other out of fear, but no one wanted to tell mom, Carolyn, about the paranormal experiences because Carolyn herself was in such a dark place. Carolyn was only 29 years old when they moved into the home. She was a very attractive woman, but after moving in, she began to age at a rapid rate. She was losing weight, her skin was wrinkling, she was living in pain. She was beginning to look like someone else, like something else was taking over but as this was going on things were getting worse and worse for the girls the beds were not only shaking and being moved they began to levitate the entities really tormented cindy the most in hindsight they think it's because cindy went in for surgery at two months old she had a birth defect and she actually died on the table doctors were able to bring her back to life but it's believed that because of this experience the entities in the home had a much stronger hold on her. A pivotal moment in the house that intensified the haunting even more was when Carolyn pried open one of the fireplaces. She reportedly took a crowbar to it and opened it up, and this changed something within the home. The family thought that it was bad before, but this was just the beginning. One day, when Roger was out of town for work, Carolyn had invited some friends over for a visit. They had just arrived, so Andrea ran up to tell her mom who was in the shower. Carolyn said, okay, great, go downstairs, make them some coffee, I'll be down soon. So the family gets together downstairs, and upstairs, Carolyn gets out of the shower and enters a closet to change. Inside, something truly horrifying happens. In this closet were a bunch of old, thick, wooden hangers that were left by Mr. Kenyon. And as Carolyn stood in the closet... Something took a wooden hanger and began beating her with it, all over her body. From downstairs, the group heard Carolyn upstairs shrieking in terror and pain. They ran up to a ghostly sight. They opened that closet door to see something beating their mother, who had dropped her robe and was now nude, with that wooden clothes hanger. Whatever it was eventually stopped. The girls ran to their mother, and those family friends left almost immediately and never ever came back. And differently from what's shown in the Conjuring film, throughout their time there, Carolyn and Roger Perrin were growing apart and their marriage was beginning to crumble. Roger had his jewelry business, so he was traveling quite a bit. And when he got back from that trip and Carolyn showed him her wounds, telling him about what happened, he didn't believe her. The strange thing is he knew his wife was not a liar. She wouldn't make this up. But Roger was in denial about what was going on in the home. He later admitted that he knew what was going on, but was so overwhelmed and terrified that he didn't know what to do. He confided in the family years and years later that he felt like he needed to be the man of the family and remain in control, but the situation was out of control. He had no idea what to do, he saw what was happening, but they had just moved into this home, spent their life savings on it. He had no idea what to do, so he just avoided it. About a year into living in the home, Andrea finally went to her mom with the truth. She told her about what the girls had been living through. She tells her everything and how it's really, really starting to affect the girls. Carolyn and the daughters sit together in the kitchen with the exception of April and finally told their mom what they had been living with. The girls shared every detail as Carolyn listened. She believed her daughters and vowed to look into the history of the home, historical records, anything she could get her hands on. Throughout the years, Carolyn continued to spiral. It's now known that she was being oppressed and manipulated by a very dark spirit who was feeding on her energy, but at the time, she didn't know what was going on, and neither did her children. They just knew she was not the same mom as before. Her voice was changing. She would use old lingo, terminology from hundreds of years ago. She would use this lingo in conversations, words she had never used before, And as reflected in the film, a lot of the activity would happen around 5.15 a.m. Many of the encounters, the manifestations, would happen at that time, and the family would wake up to find the clock stopped at exactly 5.15 a.m. It's no wonder why everyone slept with the lights on in this home. Notably, Mr. Earl Kenyon, the previous owner, came to visit the house one day. He wanted to see the house and check on the family. When he did, Carolyn mentioned to him that she was hearing strange noises in the home, She asked him, do you know anything about this? He reportedly looked at her, winked, and said, swallows in the chimney, my dear, swallows in the chimney. That translates to, we're not going to talk about this anymore. Mr. Kenyon never admitted that he believed the home was haunted, but from his demeanor, his warning to Roger, and the fact that he slept every night with every single light on, he knew. As the years progressed, it seemed that the activity in the home was getting more volatile and intense by the day, and Carolyn was not doing well. She was completely immersed in researching the home's history. She was determined to figure out why this was happening, who had lived there, who were these spirits, and what did they want? In researching the home, Carolyn discovered that many of the family members who had owned it for that eight generations had died by drowning, murder, or hanging on the property. So this really confirmed what the family already knew, that many of those spirits who met their untimely deaths there seemingly never left. And the parents just tried to continue with life as best as they could. They were having near daily paranormal experiences, living in fear. This was just their reality. Enter Ed and Lorraine Warren, well-known paranormal investigators. The couple had just worked on the infamous Annabelle case and was gaining a lot of traction in the media for their work in the paranormal. On the night before Halloween in 1973, the Warrens knocked on the parents' front door and came to investigate the home. The Warrens had heard from someone else that the parents were having a really hard time and gave them the parents' address. Carolyn and Roger agreed and the Warrens began making numerous trips to the home throughout the years. From their investigations, Lorraine felt that there were numerous spirits in the home, but there was one specific entity that was dark, angry, and demonic. This entity's name was Bathsheba Sherman. This was shocking for the family. As you'll remember, Carolyn had named their dog Bathsheba years before they even moved into the home. This was further proof that these spirits, Bathsheba, somehow knew the parents were going to move on to the property and into the home eventually. Lorraine believed Bathsheba was the haunting entity that was oppressing and feeding off Carolyn, causing her downward spiral. The aging, the depression, why she was starting to look different, act different, speak differently. It was like she was partially morphing into Bathsheba. And in their research, the Warrens connected Bathsheba to the land as she was a real woman who existed and lived on a neighboring farm in the 1800s. The local legend around Bathsheba was that she was a witch and had cursed the property and all those who live on it to die painful deaths. These rumors were amplified in town and suspicion grew when an infant died in her care one day. The townspeople believed that Bathsheba was a witch and sacrificed the infant as she was a Satanist. So in town, Bathsheba was considered a witch and also a suspected child murderer. From that point on, Lorraine Warren referred to the dark demonic entity in the home as Bathsheba. She believed that she was the source of activity and felt that she was a malignant evil presence in the home. Now, this is where reality differs from the movie. The parents believe that there was actually another powerful dark entity in the home. They don't believe that Bathsheba Sherman was the only harmful entity in the house. They did believe that she was one of the more unpleasant spirits connected to the property, but the parents believed another dark entity in the home was Mrs. Arnold, another woman who had lived in the home and died there in 1797. You see, Bathsheba did not hang herself on the property. Bathsheba died as an old woman on May 25th, 1885, but Carolyn found that a woman named Mrs. John Arnold, who lived on the property decades before, did. Mrs. Arnold hung herself in the barn when she was 93 years old. What or who drove her to do that remains a mystery. But the parents felt that this was another dark female presence in the home. And why is that? Because they began to see her. Andrea and Carolyn both witnessed Mrs. John Arnold. She would come into Carolyn and Roger's bedroom at night around 5.15 a.m. and float towards Carolyn. Andrea said the nights that her mom was visited by Mrs. Arnold, Andrea would wake up in sleep paralysis and be able to see what was going on in her mom's room. Like a dream, but she could telepathically see what was simultaneously going on in Carolyn's room. She said she was incredibly connected to her mom, so this didn't come as a surprise. When she would visit, Mrs. John Arnold's entity floated from the corner of her mom's room towards Carolyn. The entity was dressed in a gray brown linen dress with lace around the neck and hauntingly Andrea said that her head was hanging off of her neck, stating it looked like a desiccated hornet's nest. This entity had no discernible features, eyes were hollow black sockets, thin lips, jagged yellow teeth. She also had no feet and would just float towards Carolyn until nearly reaching her. These visits from Mrs. Arnold absolutely petrified Carolyn. Andrea spoke of the female spirit in the house and said, quote, she perceived herself to be the mistress of the house and she resented the competition my mother posed for that position." The activity in Carolyn and Roger's bedroom got to be so intense, they actually closed up the room and moved into another room in the house, turning it into a makeshift bedroom. So Lorraine Warren felt that Bathsheba was the primary entity in the home, but the parents believed that Mrs. Arnold was also very present. Another one of the key differences in the film and reality was unlike the movie, Ed and Lorraine Warren didn't perform an exorcism on Carolyn. In the film, Carolyn becomes possessed by Bathsheba, but in reality, the Warrens performed a seance that had Carolyn speaking in tongues before she was allegedly thrown across the room by spirits. Andrea said that she watched the seance from another room and said that she didn't even recognize her mother during the seance. Carolyn was speaking in a voice that was not her own. The family was really shaken up after the seance, and Roger asked the Warrens to leave after this and told them to stop investigating the house as he believed it was just making things worse. The Perron family lived in that house for just under 10 years. In these years, there were numerous physical attacks by these dark entities, and it's such a scary movie stereotype, but the family stated they really didn't have the means to move. Roger and Carolyn actually began selling off pieces of the estate during their years there because they needed the money. And eventually they saved up enough to move out of the old Arnold estate in 1980. The Perron family packed up and moved to Georgia. The old Arnold estate is still standing in Harrisville, Rhode Island. The lot size is now eight and a half acres, but the farmhouse and the barn are still standing. So have any owners experienced anything paranormal since the parents? The answer is yes. Reportedly, nearly everyone in the home has experienced the haunting to some degree. One man moved into the home to begin restoration, but something happened, and he left screaming. He left his tools, clothing, everything, and never went back. And now, another quick word from today's sponsors. You're back with Avery After Dark. The home sat vacant for years. There have been numerous paranormal investigations in the home over the years, and it's safe to say that it's a very active haunting, meaning all of those spirits are still there. Andrea thoroughly believes that this was meant to happen to her and her family, that they were meant to live in that home and the spirits knew they were coming. And over the years, the family realized that each and every one of them were simultaneously having their own paranormal experiences in the home. They were all different, some more intense than others, Andrea feels that the spirits targeted some of the family members, like her mom and Christine, the most. I go back to that warning that Mr. Kenyon gave Roger Perrin the day they moved in, when he whispered, for your family's sake, keep the lights on at night. That gives me the chills. The parents had no idea what they were signing up for, and in the years since, Roger Perrin is reportedly very troubled by their time there. Carolyn as well. The day the family moved out in 1980... Carolyn stated she would never, ever go back to that home. Cindy Perrin has stated that she will never, ever step foot on the property again. Andrea has the mindset that her family was meant to live there and tell the story, but for many of the other family members, the memories in that house are too hard to face. And April Perrin sadly passed away in 2017. The Perrins have always been very consistent with their accounts from the home. They haven't changed in their beliefs or experiences, And the family has also gone on to have a number of paranormal experiences after leaving the farm, feeling as though the door to the spirit realm has been opened, and once it is, it's hard to close. And on that last day, as they packed up and left, Carolyn stated that they were leaving the farm, but the farm would never leave them. And it seems it never did. It is now time for Ask Aves. Let's get into some of the questions, stories, and topics that you all have sent in. First up is from Erin. She writes, Hi Avery, I wanted to ask if you're watching the Murdaugh trial. I am so interested in this case, and the trial has been really crazy. I know you did a podcast episode on the Murdaugh's, and I wanted to know your thoughts. I love your podcast and can't wait for new episodes every week. Erin. Thank you so much for your question, Erin. Erin. The answer is yes, I have been pretty consumed by this trial. For those of you who don't know, Alec, Alex Murdaugh is on trial in South Carolina for the murder of his wife, Maggie Murdaugh, and his son, Paul Murdaugh. This case, the trial, the Murdaugh family in general is like an onion. There are so many layers to it. I really wonder if they'll put Alex on the stand to testify. It'll be really interesting to see where the jury lands with a verdict in this case. I honestly have no idea. We'll have to wait and find out. Our next question is from Evelyn. She writes, Hey Avery, I'm a big fan of your podcast and your TikTok account. So my question to you is, do you believe in empaths? Thanks so much for your question, Evelyn. I absolutely do. Empaths are individuals who have a higher sensitivity to outside sources and events. Sounds, places, energy. They're like, Emotional sponges. Empaths will often feel deeply tuned into the feelings of those around them. They can also feel overwhelmed by crowds. They're just very sensitive people and feel things very deeply. I also feel that oftentimes, empaths are more likely to experience paranormal phenomenon and supernatural experiences. Empaths often have very good intuition, gut feelings, reactions to situations, people, places. There are also three different types of empaths. Emotional empaths. This type of empath is highly sensitive to the emotions of other people. An example of this would be when another person is sad. An emotional empath will also become sad. The next type is a physical empath. This type is very sensitive to the pain and illnesses of others. An example of this would be when someone starts experiencing symptoms or illnesses that are not actually their own. And lastly, we have the intuitive empath. People who are intuitive empaths are extremely perceptive. They can sense when someone is lying or hiding something. And intuitive empaths may believe that they're psychic or telepathic. So this is interesting for you to reflect on yourself, reflect on your own qualities, how you become affected by situations, and see what kind of empath you are. Remember to send in your questions, stories, topics to the email in the show notes. I love hearing from you all and look forward to your submissions. And until next episode, this is Avery After Dark.